Well, hello from whenever, wherever, however you may be watching this. Glad you are with us. My name is Aiden, one of the pastors here at the Norton Campus of Grace. If it is uh, still the weekend of the 15th, hope that you come join us for the big event tonight, 4 to 7. If it's after uh, the 15th and you're watching this during the week, we had a good time. You should come next time we do it. Uh, we are in the series, we did, as we kind of kicked off the year, just three weeks, looking at uh, the invitation of Jesus. And you think about all kinds of different invitations in your life. Sometimes you get invitations that you're excited about that are life-changing. Sometimes you get invitations that as soon as you get invited to something, you're like, I got to figure out how to get out of this, right? That's usually what happens when you're an adult, is just figuring out how to get out of invitations. But I remember when I was, the year was 2005, I had just started my freshman year in high school. Uh, I looked a lot like this. And I started my freshman year, and there was this group of guys that I thought was, I thought, just thought they were super cool guys. They were a couple years older. They uh, wore band t-shirts of bands I listened to. They just, everybody seemed to like them. They seemed really friendly uh, and all these kind of things. And I was like, man, these, these guys are cool. And there was a couple guys that kind of, uh, I don't know, led the pack, so to say. And I remember one day, I was on MySpace, Yep, I was on MySpace, uh, which is now gone. I can't get into my MySpace anymore. But I was on MySpace, and I got an invite from, from one of these guys. And I was, I was so pumped. I'm like, man, this guy is cool. I, I kind of know a little bit about him, and I, I thought he didn't know who I was. And he sent me this invite, and I was super pumped. I remember being in my basement on AOL Instant Messenger, messaging some of my other friends who knew him. And I'm like, man, this is going to be awesome. We're going to be friends with this guy. And so I accepted his, his friend request, fall of 2005, and his message to me, I don't know if, I don't remember if it came with the request or if you, now that we were friends, he can message me. I don't remember how it all worked. But he said, hey, where'd you get your skinny jeans from? And I was like, I will tell you exactly where I got them from, right? Here we are 20 years later still wearing them. But that, that invite, I think I could quite say that like that invite, those group of guys and stuff, kind of change the trajectory of my life, right? An invitation can be life-changing. And what we've been looking at is the invitation of Jesus in this series. We, we oftentimes, when we hear the invite of Jesus, what he's calling us to, oftentimes we, we can hear it a lot of different ways, right? I was talking uh, with a friend this week who was in the military. He's like, sometimes we hear the invitation of Jesus almost as this draft notice, right? He's like, this is what we're doing, let's go, right? And you're like, oh shoot. We can hear it that way, right? And sometimes what happens when we hear things Jesus says, when we read stories about Jesus, sometimes we get the flowery Jesus, but sometimes when you read what Jesus said, you're like, that is tough, if we're honest. And sometimes we read that and we primarily hear what Jesus is calling us to as instruction. This is how you're supposed to live, and we miss the invitation. And what happens is if we end up with just instruction and not invitation, we may end up self-righteous. You know, if we get the instruction, we're like, I can do it, did it, right? Then we're self-righteous. We think God owes us something. For some of us, we can become just disengaged. We hear all the things Jesus says as these instructions simply, and we're like, I, I can't do that. I don't even know what that looks like. I don't even care. And we just kind of leave disengaged. For some of us, we try and we try to follow the instruction, to do the instruction. And whether we're hiding it, whether we feel it, or whether we just wash our hands of it, we can be burned out and be like, nobody can do this right? Because we've heard the invitation, the call of Jesus, first and foremost as instruction, but we don't hear the invitation. Dan said this last week, we'll circle back to it, but depending upon how we see Jesus, who we think Jesus is, is going to determine how we hear that invitation, right? That guy who messaged me, my friend Chase, if he would have messaged me, I didn't really like who the guy was, the invitation would mean nothing. 
But because I wanted to get to know this guy, the invitation was like, oh man, this is awesome. This is life-changing. Today, what I want to look at is the third invitation of Jesus, that he makes time and time again. Matthew 4.18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people at once. They left their nets, followed him. Matthew 9, 9, Jesus went out there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. No one likes a tax collector. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. John 1, 4, 3, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me. Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, we looked at this last week, must deny themselves, take up their cross, follow me. Luke 9, some of this is tough. As they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, bird have, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But this man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. He's like, let me wait till I get the inheritance, till all that stuff kind of figures itself out. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still, another man said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. It's tough stuff, right? And look at John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Time and time again, the invitation of Jesus. And this is one of maybe the most broad things Jesus constantly is inviting uh, people throughout the scriptures into, inviting us into, is to come and follow him. Now, this can be big and amorphous, and it can kind of be, what does this look like? What I want to do today is just want to look at two small practical things, two big practical things, and then look at two quick stories where we see Jesus uh, calling us to some different stuff. I'd love to pray for us uh, wherever you're at this morning, this evening. Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us, that we would see the weight and the beauty of your invitation to follow you. Your way of living, your way of, of living in this world is the way to life and of life abundant. So I pray that you would help us to understand and to follow you into your kingdom. It's because of Christ we pray. Amen. First thing I want to look at today is we, as we look at that call, I want you to think of all these passages where Jesus looks at people. Sometimes it's, it's, it's almost quickly and casually, come follow me. Sometimes it's a challenge. Sometimes it's inviting them to follow him and reminding them of who he is. But the invitation of Jesus is simple. I'm not saying it's easy. We get those confused, easy and simple, different things. It's simple and it's slow. Jesus invites us into a lifetime. You may be, you're probably not watching this if you're 15. You may be 25, you may be 85, but he is inviting us into a lifetime of following his way of living, his way of being, his way of interacting with people, of morality, of the way we think, the way we live, inviting us into his way of living in this world, his kingdom, his way of living. It comes as a seed and a seed is simple, right? Nothing going to capture your attention about a seed initially, but it grows and it multiplies over time as we daily walk with Jesus. Now, you may hear that the call of Jesus is simple and slow. You're like, this is boring, right? Our, our aversion in our culture to simplicity, it may be because of the speed at which we expect things to grow and to change. 
And it may be due to the ways that we are already discipled by the speed and the expectations of the world we find ourselves in. As Jesus says, come and follow me, what he's calling us to is to be his disciple. That is a church word that's a Bible word. You may have heard that a thousand times, like a disciple, right? And it can just kind of fly over the top of our heads sometimes, right? Because disciple isn't a word that we use much today. Maybe the best word, and we've said this before, to go with the disciple is apprentice, right? Someone who sits under and learns. You think about a tradesman or a skiller or a trainee, right? Someone who's constantly learning from another, an apprentice of Jesus. Jesus is calling these people to come and apprentice under him, right? Jesus was a rabbi and these were students, right? He's saying, come follow me. Now, when you think about this, almost this idea of apprenticeship versus a semester, The way that we think about following Jesus, think about this idea of apprenticeship versus a semester. I remember when I I first started working at the church, it was the first like full-time job, like normal, like I I worked a lot of different full-time jobs, but there was always some type of break involved, right? Because I was in school, I was younger, but there's something, right? When when you're younger, you're always working towards the break, you know? You're working toward the weekend, you're working uh, towards uh, winter break, you know, Christmas break, you're working towards summer break. There's always this I just get these things done, then we're going to get this, right? Like there's always this almost semester mindset. Got to get through this thing, then we're going to have this, right? And sometimes we can think about that following Jesus, right? We just get through the season. We just get through this little lesson. We just get through this thing. And then, then we're going to start, things are going to start making sense. Then we're going to get a handle on everything. Then we're going to get it all figured out. But an apprenticeship is different. It's this lifelong, this long following, this long apprenticing, this watching, this listening, this learning, this trying, this failing, this continuing in this lifelong thing, right? I think about this, I don't know, maybe somebody, maybe you apprentice under, I think about this with Pastor Dan, right? If you're new with us, he's, he's the bald one, right? I, I, Dan asked me to come and be a resident under him, um, I don't know, nine years ago or something like that, almost 10 years ago. And for the last 10 years, I, I, was, this, I was this young guy, I interned for a year, figuring out how to be a pastor, what it meant to be a pastor, what pastors do, how I'm supposed to think, how I'm supposed to see people, how I'm supposed to understand the scriptures, all these things, right? Which is a young guy, I'm like, this is, I, this is a lot, right? And I just didn't see myself as someone that was like, like going to be good at doing that right away, right? But what I did was I apprenticed under Dan. I still am. For almost 10 years now, every Wednesday, we meet for about an hour and a half. We have a lot of different meetings that we're in throughout the week, right? Think about the first time that I ever did premarital counseling with a couple when I became a pastor uh, almost six years ago. No idea what I was doing. I would sit with Dan. I'd say, what would you ask him? And I jotted down those questions, sat with him, asked him, wrote down what they said, came back to Dan the next week. This is what they said. What would you ask him? He's like, this is what I would ask him. And I still have those notes, right? If you sit with me, I'm probably asking some of those questions. I think about the fact that my, my first sermon, I'm learning to preach. And I said, well, I do the sermon. And then the week we filmed it, and the week of, me and Dan sat down in the auditorium on the screen, played my sermon back. That's a nightmare. And, and some of the feedback he gave me, right? I think about my, my friend came into town. He moved to Colorado and he's in town. And I was talking and I think I might have been preaching, leading worship. I don't know. And my friend's like, hey, you got like this like kind of Pennsylvania Southern accent thing going on a little bit. He's like, where did that come from? I'm like, probably from apprenticing under Dan for the last 10 years, right? But as I am around Dan, I see Dan in meetings, I sit in Dan with with counseling sessions, as I hear him preach, as I hear him talk about processing things with people and pastoring, I begin to start to think like him. And I try to ask myself, how would Dan handle this this situation? How would Dan kind of walk through this passage? How would Dan kind of lead through this cloudy area, right? Because I apprenticed under Dan. 
That is what Jesus is calling us to, to be his disciples, to come and follow him, to apprentice under him. If we think of just instruction, this is how you're supposed to be without this invitation that Jesus is calling us into, we're going to think that the instruction of Jesus is just self-help, or it's a book, or it's formula, it's just some tips for life, it's just something we've got to learn this semester so that, that then, at the end of the semester, we can do what we want to do. But the disciples of Jesus, you think about the disciples, they followed him. They were with him every day for three years and continued to follow his way in which we feel the impact of today. The invitation of Jesus, the invitation that Jesus calls us to is to apprentice under him by following him daily in the seemingly insignificant moments of life. And when we apprentice under him, we become like him. As we sit in his word, as we sit in the gospels, as we see the way that he interacts with people, we start to see people the way that Jesus does. We start to see uh, the relationship and the love of the Father the way that Jesus does. We start to see the reason why we're here and the mission that we're here for the way that Jesus does. This is what is called, there's a lot of different words for this in, in church world. Maybe you've heard the word sanctification. Maybe this is a way that we change to become Christ-like. A word that I, 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 it's not the coolest word in the world, but it's, it's formation. The things that change us, form us, kind of like clay, make us into who we are, right? Now think about this. If you think of apprentice versus a semester, think about this. Almost uh, this idea of um, formation versus a feeling. Almost the, the formation of something, the slow process of becoming something versus chasing after that end of semester feeling, right? There's, uh, I heard this interview with this guy. He's not a Christian. He's like a productivity guy. But I thought that this statement was, was powerful. He says, habits, the things that we do, the things that form us, they don't just matter because of the results that they give us, right? Habits don't, it's not, they're not important because they get us the results we want, but because of the identity that they reinforce, your habits are how you embody a particular identity. Your habits are how you embody a particular identity. I love that. Oftentimes we hear about, I got this instruction, I got to do these things to follow Jesus. But Jesus, who has given us a new identity in Christ, Jesus has, has dealt with our sin. We are daughters and sons of the King. We are brothers. We are family in Christ, made new, made alive. That's who we are. And the way that that plays out, the way that we embody that reality, isn't just by knowing about it, but it's about putting these habits in our life, this following Jesus, apprenticing under Jesus, being formed into the image of Christ. Because patterns in our lives, they instill our identity. They don't create our identity, but they instill our identity, right? Listen to this, Romans, Romans 12, you probably heard this passage before if you've been around church at all. Romans 12, 2 says this. I'm going to throw it up here with my clicker. Yep, learning the clicker. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed. Don't kind of, kind of mold into the world around us, which we all are. I want to talk about this in a second. We all are in ways that we don't even realize. But be transformed. Be changed. Be, let the patterns in your life kind of correspond with the identity that Christ has given us by the renewing of our mind, by changing the way that we see things, by the way we understand things, by the way we process things as we apprentice under Jesus. Now, a way uh, that I, I love one pastor said this, his name's John Tyson. In, in this passage, Paul is writing to people in Rome, right? 
Rome had a very specific way of doing things. And he's writing to these people in Rome, trying to tell them about the gospel, and about how this looks, how we live, specifically at peace with one another as followers of Christ. And he says this, but look what this, this quote John Tyson says. He says, in order for Paul to make Romans into Christians, that's who he's writing to. In order for Paul to make Romans into Christians, he had to understand how Rome made people into Romans. Because they already had patterns, they had ways of doing things, they had ways of seeing the world, they were formed by things, right? He said, what were their patterns and the molds that Rome used? They were myths, stories, entertainment, think of the Colosseum, authority, right? Even think of, of power and fear. We must ask, how is America making Americans American? How is the world that we live in, the West, how, how is it making us products of that. How is it making us Americans? And therefore, how do we make Americans Christians? If he's, if Paul is writing to the Romans and he's like, how have, how do you see the world? You are shaped by Rome. How do I meet you there and help you understand what it means to follow Christ? We must ask the question, if we are Americans, how do we look at the world around us, America, how does it make us into Americans? How does it form us? And oftentimes I think we, we are, we don't realize we're being formed, but what we chase after is, is feelings. And that plays out a lot of different ways. You might be listening, you're like, I'm not a super emotional person, but I, I think you'll get it what I'm, what I'm saying here. We, we, all of us, we want something that's going to change us, that's going to make a difference. We, we, are, we are conformed to the image of Americans because of how the West, how America has shaped us, for better or for worse. A lot of good things that come with that, right? But we're, we're shaped a lot of different ways. Think about some of these things specifically how they kind of contrast with this simple and slow apprenticeship of following the imitation of Jesus. Oftentimes there's information. I, I want this, like this nugget that I can apply today that will fix my stuff, right? And oftentimes, if we don't get something out of it, we feel like it wasn't helpful. We feel like it didn't change us, right? You, maybe you're sitting in a small group. Maybe you're listening right now to the sermon. Maybe you read your Bible, your prayer time, your relationship with the person, whatever it is. If there's something, you watch some YouTube video, and if you don't get something out of it, immediately. You're like, that was a waste of time. I didn't get anything out of it. For some of us, you know, think about the way that productivity shapes us, right? We want an app, we want a hack, we want a tip that can help turn me into the person I want to be, right? I want this information to quickly change me, right? I think about this with emotions, right? Think, think about in all contexts of these things, about the way that we process the ways of following Jesus even. We, we want a feeling. That feeling may be different. For some of us, we want this emotional kind of quiver, like where we cry a little bit. For some of us, we want this feeling of determination. These things aren't bad. But if we don't have those things, we think that something isn't worthwhile, right? Because we are chasing after that quick thing. For some of us in our culture, we want like this self-expression, right? Like we, we need to express ourselves, represent ourselves to the world. Think about this. All the ways that these things shape and form us. Think about, think about uh, resolution. We want to see the whole story happen. We grew up watching movies, watching TV shows where within the course of an hour or two hours, we can see the introduced, be introduced to the people, see the problem, see them figure out the problem, and at the end, everything goes well. Like we see that arc time and time again, time and time again, and so we need resolution. It, it forms us. It forms us the way that we see situations. So when we have a conflict with someone, when we are walking through something, we have to follow Jesus. When we're walking through pain, we're like, okay, we want this story arc. Where's the happy ending? 
We want to see the whole thing. And sometimes the Bible tells us this. We might be following Jesus without resolution our entire lives, but we've been formed to expect resolution, right? We've been formed to, to be products of our self-expression, right? The, the, the knowledge about things, like we've been formed to want to know about everything and to have answers to everything, to have an opinion about everything, right? And we are this way because we have phones in our hand, because of the music and the movies that we've watched, because of the way that things have been advertised to us, because every day, my generation and younger, we woke up, we got online, and Facebook said, what is on your mind? And so we felt like we had to express it. We felt like we had to know about everybody else's, right? That all these things shape us. We are formed in these ways that we are unaware of. And then we hear this call of Jesus to, follow, to come and follow him in a very specific way. And oftentimes we like the initial idea of Jesus calling us because we feel like following him is going to give me the knowledge I want. It's going to help me express myself the way I want. It's going to help me experience certain emotions that I want. It's going to give resolution to things in my life the way that I want. It's going to give me this this knowledge and understanding everything the way that I want right away. And we start to follow him and then we become disenfranchised. Because Jesus isn't getting us where we already wanted to go, how America has already formed us. Eugene Peterson says this, It is not difficult in such a world to get a person interested. Clicker. It's not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it's packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. There's little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. I think that's such a powerful statement. That we we are formed by so many things. We are formed by, by our technology and by um, America forms us into Americans. Living in the West forms us into, into Westerners. And there's a lot of good that comes with that. Don't mishear me. There's a lot of good that comes with that. But there's things that we don't always realize that change us. The way we, the way our expectations play out, the way we see relationships, the way we see being bored, the amount of time it takes for certain things to happen, it changes us, right? And what Jesus calls us to is, is what Eugene Peterson says, is a long obedience in the same direction, a long apprenticeship being formed not by the patterns of this world, but being formed by the apprenticeship of following Jesus, by the slow, steady, people-focused way of Jesus. Peterson calls this this patient virtue. And I would call to ask you, what does this patient virtue look like for us? If we're always searching for a feeling, if we're always searching for resolution, if we're always searching for ways to express ourselves, if we're always searching for happy feelings, if we're always searching for information for information, which aren't always bad things, please hear me, but that changes the way that we apprentice and disciple and follow the call of Jesus. What does the patient virtue look like for you? When you wake up, what's the first thing you do? Might feel insignificant. 
It might not feel like it matters much, right? The first thing you do when you wake up. What does patient virtue look like when, when, you, when you set time? Like, this is, this is my time with Christ. Being formed first and foremost by him each day, by sitting silently with Jesus. What does a patient virtue look like for you by the things that you're not doing? By maybe the things you're fasting from, that we're removing from our lives, that we are simplifying, right? Or we might be creating space and margin to be with Jesus. What does that patient virtue look like? One author said, busyness is the great enemy of the spiritual life, right? If one of the hardest, the hardest things that we have to battle about being apprenticed and following Jesus is our busyness. We, we just don't have time to follow you, Jesus. We got to get the kids to soccer. We got to work extra hours. We got to catch up on our next Netflix show. We, we got to do all these things at church. We signed up for Jesus. We don't have time to, to apprentice under you and follow you because there's so much going on. We're formed by the busyness of our world. What is that patient virtue look like? Who are you pursuing? Who are you praying for? Who are you being challenged to love? Because when Jesus calls us, he calls us to be fishers of men, that this life of following Jesus is based on seeking after people, becoming like Jesus and seeking after people. I can tell you this. I can promise you this. There's not a lot of things I can promise you, but I can promise every day when you, when you come to church, when you sit in a small group, when you sit with Jesus, when you pray, when you read the Bible, when you have interactions with people about Jesus, you're not going to cry and have some new emotional discovery every day. You're not going to stumble upon some life-changing bit of information in the scriptures every day that every day you're just, wow, this changed me. You might. There might be seasons of that. There is going to be seasons of that. But every day we come into that, we're formed by the immediacy of our world. And what, what following Jesus is, is it's simple and it's slow. You might not walk away from small group, church service, or your Bible reading plan with a tidbit every single day. You may not get answers for months or you may not be feeling it for years, but you will be formed in the way of Jesus as we pursue the patient virtue of following after Christ. Now, some of you, some of you may be following Jesus for a long time and you've seen these things shape you. You've seen these things affect who you are. But for others of you, you may be like, Aiden, this sounds legalistic. This just sounds like instruction and things we got to do. I would challenge you, you might be mishearing the invitation of Jesus because Jesus is inviting us into life and life abundant. For many of us, we're tired, burned out, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, things feel futile. And I would ask you, how are the ways that we've been formed, how are they playing out in your life? An old pastor, John Wesley, said these spiritual practices, these these, these different things of sitting with Jesus, of following after Jesus, of being still and seeking after people and surrounding ourselves with the community of God and prayer and a scripture, these spiritual practices, hear me, they don't earn grace. You cannot earn any of this, but they help us to receive grace. We know about God's grace. We know about God's grace, but when we don't sit with him in that grace, when we don't experience it by bumping shoulders with other people, when we aren't filled with it by being in his scriptures, there's, there's, there's not places for his grace to play out because we haven't set up things in our lives for the ways that his grace shows up. We just agree with something in our minds and we burrow on through life with the busyness and the hectic nature of our lives, being formed in our world. I want to end with just two quick stories. Two quick stories. The, the, the first thing I want you to write down as we think about the invitation of Jesus got it, is that the invitation of Jesus, it's singular, it's exclusive, right? There's, there's, the invitation of Jesus will not be competed with. It's not one of many, but 
everything comes under the submission of this call of Jesus. Look at Luke 18. Luke 18. There we go. Got it. Jesus is in his ministry, and a certain a certain young ruler comes and asks Jesus, comes and talks to Jesus, says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to have the life that you are talking about, Jesus? And Jesus responds, take notes. Jesus always responds with the question, Why do you call me good? Jesus says, No one is good except for God. He says, You know the commandments. You, sh- you shall commit adultery. Don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, honor your father and mother. And the young man says this, this young ruler says, all these things I've kept. I have done all these things since I was a boy. Pretty stand-up guy, right? He's a good stand-up guy. When Jesus heard this, he looked at him. He says, you still lack one thing. Look what Jesus says. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. And look what he says. Come, follow me. Jesus says, you're doing a good job, young man. But there's something you don't have. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Then come, follow me. When the young ruler heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Now this young man, this young ruler, he, if we're honest, he looks like a pretty good American Christian. He, he came to Jesus, and he was a good dude. He was a good guy. He followed a lot of the instruction that, that he had been called to do, right? Didn't kill anybody, didn't commit adultery with anybody. He was nice to his parents. Like, he was a good guy. And he expected that to, to like, kind of get him where he needed to go, right? Jesus, I did all the stuff, right? How am I doing? And Jesus points out that there's always something lacking. And it's, it's not what we bring to Jesus, but to the goodness of who he is. Why do you call me good? Do you really believe that I'm good? Do you really believe that I am God? Right? That this guy brings all his good stuff to Jesus. But, but not just that. It is clear that this man, despite how good he was, some of us, you might be like, I'm a pretty good dude, right? And killed nobody and committed adultery. And I'm pretty nice to my parents too. For some of us, we feel that way about ourselves, so we feel justified in holding on to certain things. This dude was wealthy. He's like, I'm a pretty good guy. Wealth is no big deal, right? And he probably felt pretty good about himself and relied on his wealth to give him the life that he truly wanted because he was seeking after something. He was seeking after this eternal life. And Jesus says, you're not going to get it as long as you hold on to this other thing. Give it away and you can only hold on to me. It's clear that in this life, this man... What was blocking him from following and experiencing Jesus was his wealth. And what does Jesus do? He says, separate yourself from all that and come and follow me. Now, oftentimes we read this and we're like, Jesus doesn't actually mean that. Like Dan talked about this last week, right? When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, a lot of Christians throughout history have died following Jesus, right? And we're like, oh. In some regard, he does mean that. And we see Jesus' call to this rich young ruler. He says, sell everything you have, then come follow me. Seems ridiculous to us, right? Why does it seem ridiculous to us? Why is when we read something like that, we're like, well, that's clearly not what he's asking, right? Why wouldn't Jesus be calling us to actually rid ourselves of something that is pulling our hearts from him? Do we think he couldn't possibly be that audacious? Do we think that he possibly couldn't be that good, right? 
Why? Now listen, you're probably not gonna go sell all your stuff today because Aiden on the TV said he probably should. No, probably not. But my hope is for us, as we start to take Jesus at his word, that we might be slowly and simply and steadily formed into realizing these things that I have. Whatever your thing, your thing might not be wealth. It might be something else. We all got something. But that we would slowly start to realize this thing is not worth anything to know in Christ. What would it be for you? What would it be for you that Jesus, if you came to Jesus, you're like, look, man, I completed my Bible reading plan last year. I talked to two people about Jesus. <laughs> I said, have a blessed day at the supermarket, right? We all got his, if you felt pretty good about yourself, what would be the thing that Jesus would look at you and say, but you still can't let go of that because that's where you're finding your life. That's where you're finding your meaning. That's where you're finding your happiness. And those things are found in me. And I'm inviting you to come and follow me. What would it be to you? Would it be break up with that girl? Break up with that guy. Come and follow me. Move out of that house and come and follow me. Quit that job that is stealing your life and stealing everything about you and then come follow me. I don't know who's watching this. Maybe selling, sell that Nintendo Switch where you spend all of your time and come and follow me. Delete your Instagram. Come follow me. Let go of the narrative that you've kind of built your life story around, whether it's success, whether it's being a victim, whether it's being whatever, the funny guy, get rid of that and come follow me. Delete your Amazon account and come follow me. If we're honest, many of us, we know what that thing is that's keeping us from following Jesus into life and life abundant. Why would Jesus ask us to do this? Because he knew that this man was relying on himself and his wealth for his life. Because look at what he says, the last thing here. When this man heard what Jesus called him to. When Jesus said, follow me, get rid of this stuff and follow me and me alone, he left sad because he knew that he was very wealthy and that stuff was worth way more to him. His wealth was worth more than the invitation. He heard instruction. He said, this is what you have to do, but he didn't see the true invitation in the life of the invitation. Is, is what I see in Jesus is it greater than what I'm leaving behind? Sometimes what shows us this most, the most acute way we see this is through suffering, right? It shows us the things that we are clinging to and it reveals our need for Jesus. Dan said last week, how you see Jesus will determine how you hear the call. If you don't think that Jesus is truly good, you will leave sad from this challenge because you want to hold on to whatever is truly giving you life. But if you see Jesus as a God of grace, whose way is true and is a way of peace and of joy and of satisfaction, you hear him differently. Flip your Bibles over one page to Luke 19. Last story. You can write this down. The invitation of Jesus singular, but it's also satisfying. Do you believe that it truly is satisfying? In Luke 19, this is the next chapter over. Jesus entered Jericho, and as he was passing through, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was also wealthy. He was a tax collector. He wasn't a good guy. He wasn't a guy who would have had this great record, but he did have money. But he wanted to see who Jesus was. He was curious about Jesus. And because he was short, I relate to you, Zacchaeus, he climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus got to the spot where Zacchaeus could see him, Jesus looked up at Zacchaeus and said, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. 
And look at what verse 6 says. So he came down from the tree and he welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Do you see the difference in these two stories? You've got this rich young ruler who had it all together, who had wealth, who came to Jesus with his his head up high and said, What must I do? Almost this, like, just ask me, I'll show you that I already did it. And he leaves sad because he couldn't let go of that one thing where you see Zacchaeus, who probably knew that he was sinful, knew that people hated him because he was a tax collector. He sought after Jesus, was curious about Jesus. And when Jesus says, I'm coming to your house, he welcomes Jesus gladly and says, take my stuff. Jesus, I gave away half my stuff because you, Jesus, are more important. That see the different ways that they responded to this call, both wealthy, But Zacchaeus had a need that he knew Jesus was the answer for, and he was glad. And the rich young ruler left sad because he wanted to hold on to his stuff. He didn't want to take Jesus at his invitation. If you're hearing this whole conversation and, and, and what you're asking is like, okay, so I got to do this thing, right? I got to do this thing. Aiden, tell me I have to do this thing in order to get this life. You've misheard me. And you might still be hearing the call of Jesus as an instruction and not an invitation. Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus gladly because he stepped into the life and the life abundant that is in following Christ. Is what I see in Jesus greater than what I'm leaving behind? This, this idea of following Jesus is, is this large, vast, vast life that we, that we live. And wrapping it up in 35 minutes is is a tough thing to do. But we're all following something. We're all apprenticing under something. We're all being formed by all kinds of things. And it's worth asking ourselves, is it leading us to the life that we're seeking after? Because we look at Jesus and we think that he's a way. If we think that he can be applied to things in my life, it it doesn't work because Jesus is not going to share. Jesus can only rule. And his rule is good. I'd call, I'd call you to ask yourself, what, what are the things that are forming you? Are you impatient? Are you hurried? Are you anxious? Are you stressed out? What are the things that are forming you? Do you want quick answers to everything? Which ways in your life are you slowing down? Are you creating margin space for Jesus to work? It is it our church services, small groups, serving Reading the Bible, your time with Jesus in prayer, are they only as beneficial as the quick thing that you get out of them or the emotion that you feel from it? If that's the case, perhaps we've been formed by things that we didn't even realize we were formed by. What is, what is the thing that you're just like, I, I just can't let go of this thing. I cannot let go of this. I'm not, I'm not saying it, let go of it, then Jesus will finally like you, but I'm suggesting that, that the thing you won't let go of may not lead you to the life that you're truly looking for, the life abundant that is only found in the way of following and apprenticing under Jesus, because Jesus is better. What does it look like you for in your life stage to follow Jesus? I don't want to be too prescriptive and say what this exactly looks like. You might be a young mom. You might be retired empty nester. You might be in college trying to figure out your life. You might be in the 
the middle of your life and kids are middle school and you're like, life is crazy and boring. We're all in different stages. What does following the call, the invitation of Jesus look like in your life? What does it look like for the stage that you're in as a mother, as a business owner, as a student, as a retired person? What does it look like? Because the invitation of Jesus totally depends on who we see Jesus to be. And if we think that he's just this mad God who's yelling instructions at us, we are going to follow Jesus, drag our feet, and be angry. We're going to leave sad like the rich young ruler. But if we see ourselves as people who are in need of the grace of Jesus and the beauty of the life that he calls us to come into and follow him, that we see joy start to seep up in our life because we're seeking after Christ. And so Jesus, I just simply pray that you would help us. I pray that you would help us to seek after and to follow you into the life that you've called us to live. Jesus, so, so often we cling to so many different things. We are formed by so many different things. But I pray that you would help us to seek after you, to take you at your call to follow you. And Jesus, I pray that you would help us to start simply, one step at a time in small rhythms and habits of our life, to be formed to the image of Christ, to be transformed as you renew us. We love you. It's because of Christ we pray. Amen.